Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. 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 You better create your life. Beautiful people, what's going on? Happy, happy Sunday. This is your host of the Create Your Life series, Kevin Y. Brown, and I am so happy to be here. Blessed, actually. Uh, Today's show, we actually have a a really, really cool guest on. I actually didn't know how dynamic this guy was until I had the opportunity to speak with him further in depth. Uh, Actually, today. So I'm still finding out more about him. And so I'm pretty sure that you guys will all be excited as well to hear from this brother. But before, of course, we get our guest on and we find out about his magnificent journey, we have to do that very special uh, part that we call catch up. And this week's um, episode of catch up or think about catch up, catching up with the things that have gone on uh, with me in life. The first thing is we actually have our first advertiser for the Create Your Life series. So you know, definitely happy and humbled to have that. And it's actually Manor's Restaurant, which is a a restaurant here in Harlem that serves some really, really great uh, soul food. Um, And they also have some special options. So you'll hear their advertisement uh, later on on the show. And the second thing is, is on Friday, I had the opportunity to celebrate uh, the union of two of my friends. One, uh, my my female best friend, uh, Rebecca Williams. Well, now Miss Gardner. Let me let me correct that, uh, Miss Rebecca Gardner. And so, you know, I met her a few years ago. I think maybe four years ago. And such a beautiful spirit, such a beautiful person. And she met uh, her husband, Murtho, man, and they just clicked. And I mean, he's a really really good brother. And their ceremony was amazing and I felt like all the people who were there were just so genuine and nice and you know it was man it was a, it was a great wedding you know it had you know I heard those Haitians so you know we had the, had the island music going with some 80s 90s R&B and it was just it was love and of course love was in the air so definitely a good time had the opportunity to celebrate them but you know it's interesting because your friends they become family And when you talk about friends being family, lo and behold, who do I see at this actual wedding is a guy who I met a few, I say a few months ago, we we randomly had sparked up a conversation at a meeting here at the radio station. And this gentleman, I see him at the wedding and I'm like, dude, what you doing here? And he's like, well, what are you doing here? He's like, who do you know? I say, man, I know both the bride and the groom, but the bride is my best friend. He goes, well, yeah, the groom is my guy. And I'm like, what? And so along with other conversations that we had that further secured, you know, our friendship and letting us know that, man, we absolutely have to be around each other. So Create Your Life Series family, I want you to welcome uh, Mr. Gregory Neesmith 
uh, please say hello to the Create Your Life Series family. Hello, Create Your Life family, and hello to you too, Kevin. And the wedding was all love. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, me and me and my boy Ed, um, we we talked about it uh, afterwards. We were just like, man, that was one of the most genuine, you know, ceremonies where just their their vows, everything was just so um, personal. And everything was funny. Like, we had, <laughs> man, we were laughing the entire time. Yeah, what they did, what I love is that it was well organized without being, like, tight. Right, like, uptight. Folks were, like, really just having a good time. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, man, pleasure. And it was good to see you there. It was. Because I was like, what you, what you doing here? <laughs> I'm like, hold on, what are you doing here? The universe has meant for us to be together, man. Um, I'm going I'm to take your word for that, and I'm going to agree. I'm definitely agreeing on that. All right, man, let's jump right in, because you got a lot of nuggets that you could definitely drop on the uh, Create Your Life Series family. So first question out the gates, man. You're from Philly. Shout out to the city of brotherly love. Okay, okay. And did that make you a 76ers fan? Yes. We, we are affectionately known as being two years away from being two years away. mm yeah, about that. So, moving on. <laughs> but we're better off than the Knicks for any New York any folks New York fans listening. Man, to just gonna get out at the New York listeners like that. The New York fan. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm a Laker fan, but I'm a Warrior fan by default. So you know the Bay, we doing we doing all right right now. So you oh, know they aren't that close together, LA to the Bay. I know, man. But see, Kobe Bryant. See, I'm I'm really big into work ethics in the way that people like have this killer instinct in order to get the things that they want to do done and to me he exemplifies that willpower and so that's that's my guy well we didn't talk about this but i'm a big basketball fan and played in the public league in philly too against some guys who eventually did end up in the nba okay okay yeah we'll definitely have to rap about that because i played at clark atlanta too for a couple years so we'll have that combo but look so talking about growing up in philly i just found out you were adopted so tell me about this whole situation like give me some some in-depth background about your story man all right so born in upland pennsylvania i normally say philly but you wanted to go next level which is technically i was born in upland pennsylvania in foster care for the first few years of my life and by the age of two adopted and raised by Henry and Hallie Neesmith. Um, I used to always joke and say when they came up in that home, I said, yo, y'all got to get me up out of here. <laughs> and, and luckily they did. And so not only are they my angels, but they're also my parents. Hold on. When they came up in the home, where were you at? You were in a shelter or something? Uh, foster care. Okay. And they came to visit and you said, you told them y'all have to get me out of here? No, that's the story I say in my head. I, I don't think I said it, but in my mind, I was probably thinking, you know, I'm probably like one year old. So I'm, in my head, I'm going, get me out of here. And luckily they did. Mm. Wow. And so you ended up moving with them when you were two years old. And then what was, how long did you stay with them? Rest of my life. They, they're my parents now. Um, I grew up in Philly. I stayed in Philly until I was about 23. Then eventually uh, moved to New York to start working in my corporate career. But definitely the whole adoption thing was wild. Um, growing up, like in my early years, not really internalizing that I was adopted. So when people would say stuff like, you don't look like your parents, <laughs> um, you know, people in your family are a little lighter than you. I used to be like, mm, I don't, mm, I'm not, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, <laughs> so what was it like? How did that affect you? Uh, people telling you that you didn't look, live, look like everybody else and kind of noticing the skin complexion differences, things like that? Well, I think what it made me realize is that clearly I was um, not fully accepting that I was adopted. 
Um, and I remember uh, getting access to some of the adoption records uh, that the social worker wrote about my biological parents and about me growing up. And it always um, left me feeling a bit like something was a bit off with me because my other siblings got to stay with eventually my birth mom and I didn't. Mm. And so I remember making up this story about like, maybe I'm just not lovable. Maybe I'm just not special enough. Like why they get to stay and I didn't get to stay. Right. Right. Yeah. We often do make up those narratives about ourselves. So how did you end up breaking that narrative in your head? Well, let's be very clear. It took a long time. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, But eventually what I started to realize is that for one to forgive them, Mm. because as I got older, what I realized is that my my biological parents, no different than all of us, right, are doing the best we can at the time. Um, and it took me a certain level of maturity, but to realize that nobody dreams of like, oh, I'm going to have a kid one day and not take care of them and put them up for adoption. Like, that wasn't their plan. They were doing the best they could. So also just forgiving them was also a way for me also to just start to accept that nothing's wrong with me and actually nothing was wrong with them either. Right. Absolutely. Sometimes people are just going through um, what it is that they're, that their growth cycle, I yeah. guess you could call it. Yeah. Nah, man, that's... That's powerful, bro, because, you know, myself, I made up a similar narrative, you know, myself uh, growing up in care where it was just me and my older sister. And then when I turned 10, she got to go back to our biological family. So I was left dolo (laughs) in care for the next eight years. And I think earlier on, I kind of created the narrative for myself where it was like, if I don't have as long as my sister's with me, I'm fine. I wasn't concerned with my mom. And. Then I had to, like you said, you know, break that cycle and kind of say, you know what? I am worthy. I am powerful enough to create my life. Yes. And a shout out to um, people who created whatever story they created when they were younger, Mm -hmm. because there is a certain brilliance about it. So by me wanting to avoid conflict or be the consensus builder or the peacemaker, some of those skills come in very handy in life Mm -hmm. and they help me survive. But they also have a certain limiting impact, too. And so the cool thing is, you know what, the brilliance to survive and get through it and then also realize that it's okay to unlearn it too. Absolutely. And, and survival becomes a, a key part of your thinking until you learn that you can actually live in abundance. Yeah, man. yes. <laughs> it's definitely, there's a switch there that is like, ah. And when you do it, you got it. Okay, so you did that, graduated high school. Yes. And the public school. Public school, shout out to public school. Yes. I went to public school in California. Sharice, you went to public school? No? Okay. We'll Shout out to yeah. private school, too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so you go to UPenn. Yep. Graduate from UPenn or finish up at UPenn, and then you go and work at, in marketing at... Craft Foods. Wow. What is that like? First of all, I'm a 23-year-old moving to the New York metropolitan area. Their headquarters was in Terrytown. Okay. Now, I sh- probably should have lived in the city, but I was like, it's expensive up here. So I lived in Terrytown in a room rental across the street from Kraft Foods. Terrytown is? In Westchester County. It's just north of the city on the Hudson. Oh, so, I mean, you stacking coins then? Every month, just stacking cash. Like how much stacking I'm at a, that time? Sh- a thousands. Wow. Because part of me wanted to eventually buy a place. Right, right, and right. Give my, and get a car. So I had an 88 Cutlass. Lived in a room rental, working in a Fortune 100 company at 23. Sounds smart to me, man. I mean, it, it to me too, but sometimes the uh, coworkers would go, how are you dating people? <laughs> <laughs> All up in your personal life. Yeah. What's up with that? <laughs> Folks is nosy. Yeah, it, it's like that sometimes. Yeah. 
It's like that. Okay, so you, you're doing this 23 years old, and what was your first brand that you worked for or under at Kraft Foods? Um, Javalia Coffee and then a Maxwell House Coffee were my first two brands at oh, okay. Kraft Foods. Are you a coffee drinker? No. <laughs> that makes two of us. I'm just, I always have to ask that question. Well, um, you know, it's one of the things I, we learn in marketing, too. Sometimes it's good when you're not the actual consumer, consumer of the product mm. because you have a certain reverence for meeting the needs of consumers. Right. With the product or service that you sell, and so really listening and being in tune to what they want, and then giving it to them. Right, really uh, being about the service because because uh, it's not about me. And I've been in some meetings where someone's like, mm, "I don't like the way that tastes," and I'm like, mm, "We, you aren't the target." <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. Definitely, yeah. you gotta you gotta perform services and do things with the audience in mind versus yourself so I definitely yeah. like that so you stayed at Kraft Foods for a total of how many years? Six Sweet 16 Sweet 16 <laughs> yes wow now okay. I will say though one of the things I learned while being there is that it was always tough for me to get a good assignment they kind of put me on the bad businesses the ones that weren't doing too well so I learned a bit of a fighting spirit of like how to turn lemons into lemonade okay and then eventually when it seemed like they would only give me the bad stuff, mm-hmm. over time I actually started requesting it because it was more fun. Right, to I build, was, right? Yeah, turn around teams, turn around businesses. It was more fun that way. What were a couple of the, uh, the key things that you felt uh, you needed or that you actually learned to do in order to uh, make your team successful or make these brands turn around? Uh, one of them is that surround yourself with talent. Okay. And not always the obvious thing. Like I looked for people who had a little bit of... Uh, they were the underdog mm-hmm. or folks didn't kind of see they may have been rough around the edges. But, you know, being that you love sports, too, I mean, I'll take talent and potential and right. work ethic sometimes over what looks like the more obvious, more polished choice. Absolutely. Um, also, once you get talented people on your team, mm-hmm. empower them to do their job. People actually like to do what you've asked them to do. It makes their life easier. <laughs> yes. So, so I don't micromanage. Mm-hmm. I'm big picture. What the strategy is. Let's put some boundaries out there and then let people work, do the work. Okay. Um, it's some of the things I learned. Mm. Okay. So during your time there, you learn those things. You start turning some of those brands around. What are some of the brands that you turned around or that you helped to become greater? <laughs> so some of my friends joke, uh, one of my brands that I turned around was Kool-Aid. So you were the Kool-Aid man? <laughs> no, I was not the Kool-Aid man. Uh, although, <laughs> although I was at an event once, and this guy was um, asking, like, what do you work on? And he'd been drinking a little bit. We were at, like, this gala. Mm-hmm. And something told me, this is going to be a bad situation. And I, at the time, I led the Kool-Aid Country Time and Tang businesses. So I'm like, where do I put Kool-Aid in the answer? And I'm like, I work on Kool-Aid Country Time and Tang. And he was like, Kool-Aid? <laughs> you work on the Kool-Aid brand and literally starts calling people over. He's like, come here. You're not going to believe this. There's a brother that runs the Kool-Aid business. But I turned that business around. Like it, and literally, you can Google stuff in Ad Week and things like that and my name and Kool-Aid and literally taking the business and turning it around. Um, and we took on this fight against soda that we're the more... Um, healthier choice? Healthier is not the way we, we put it. Okay. We're the smart okay. alternative to soda. The smart alternative. I like that. Yes. Hmm. And what is what is turning it around look like? Like, where did you take it from to? Um, so a business that had been declining for over a decade. Okay. Um, in both sales and in households that it was in, we turned around household penetration and also got sales growing at somewhere between like five to ten percent 
um, that year and then that next year following. Um, and it really was this whole idea of like you create a foil. So we took on soda as the foil, even though we know soda's this big business. Mm-hmm. We were the smarter turn to soda. We knew there were moms that struggled with their relationship to soda and with how they give it to their kids, parents, I mean, fathers too. And so we figured out how to be the affordable choice. Towards the end of your, your career with Kraft, who actually changed their name to? Mondelez International is what, of Kraft, one of the ways it evolved. And I ended up going with that part of Kraft, now Mondelez International, because I wanted to get some global experience. So my last role there was director of strategy and innovation for their confection business. So I was out running and directing businesses around the world and traveling also, too. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Did you get to go and actually visit sites and things like that in other places, Man, markets? nothing like traveling business class. On the company's dime, though. Not your own company, but on the... <laughs> the trip to Dubai? Right. On uh, Emirates? Oh, yeah. I the... flew them when I went to Egypt. The fastest 13 hours in my life. I'm like, we're there already? <laughs> the food was all right, too. It's better than some restaurants I've been to. Hey, man. <laughs> you talking now, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, so what, what were some of the other brands that you got to, that you got to manage? Uh, uh, Sour way? Patch Kids, Halls, uh, helping out with our Trident business, mm. um, Capri Sun, did you, Valia. Did you? I know you had some Sour Patch Kids at the crib, though. Yo, and can I tell you, that first month when you get the Sour Patch Swedish Fish and Halls business? Yes. I mean, I was eating them for breakfast. I'd be at my desk <laughs> just popping some Sour Patch Kids and Swedish Fish. And then eventually it wore off. Right, right, and right. And I was able to, like, put it down. Mm. <laughs> During the uh, musical break, I asked Greg, I said, man, Greg, what are some of the things that you could actually tell some of our listeners in the Create Your Life Series family so that they can make sure that they're being successful and rise to the level that you did as director of global brands and things like that, where they're at. So, Greg, uh, that question, man, what are some of the answers or key points that you have for our listeners? All right, a couple would be get feedback. Okay. Literally, ask people what's being said about you, Mm -hmm. what people like about you, what they don't like about you, You've heard that saying that feedback is a gift. It really is. If you're if you don't know what people, how they see you, how they perceive you. And I mean, beyond just your manager, you want to find out how people are taking in your personal brand and your work. Well, I have a a mentor, Raphael Moffat. He, He says correction is direction and feedback is love. It is. And once again, to come back to some of the sports that we both played. Watching the film. Getting the scouting report. These are all things that you use to then also evolve your game. Okay. So that's one of them. Get feedback. Um, The other one is, I would say, um, create a relationship with everybody. And I mean everybody. Mm. No matter what function or department you're in, get to know the people in the other departments and functions. Treat the people who are on your cross-functional team the same way you treat your manager or your direct reports. It establishes a level of trust, respect, and you'll be surprised at what people will do for you when they actually respect and like you and know that you feel the same about them. So don't don't pick favorites. And especially if you're young in career, you don't really have a choice to be picking favorites anybody anyway. Right. And when you get high in your career, you still shouldn't be picking favorites. Um, the other would be get a mentor. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean... You can try to take this journey by yourself if you want to, but you wouldn't go to some country without a tour guide. You Very wouldn't true. Google something and, like, get some Google Maps. So, so don't try to go on your career 
with just your peers or just your family and friends when you get home and like, this is what's happening at work. Find somebody who's been there a little bit longer than you, a little bit more mature and older than you Mm -hmm. that can help you navigate because there's just going to be things you don't know. Three, uh, two ways, that w- two or three ways that we can actually find a mentor at work. How, how do you give us some strategies to do that? One of them is pay attention to literally who likes you. Okay. Sometimes, because what's never worked for me is the forced thing. Mm-hmm. When someone's like, oh, that person's going to mentor you. So just be aware of someone who seems to take a liking to you, who always asks you how you're doing, maybe says we should have lunch. Those are normally the people that they have some liking for you mm-hmm. and would likely be willing to then support you beyond just the highs and the buys um, or the lunches. Gotcha. Okay. And do you have any other uh, tips for us? Um, also, I would say be willing to give the credit to folks when they do well uh, and be uh, able to take the blame, especially if you're the leader, when stuff doesn't. Right. Ownership, right? Yeah. Responsibility. Mm. Yeah, that's It that's works huge. everywhere. <laughs> responsibility <laughs> works everywhere. <laughs> hey, man, that is, a, that is an actual fact. Okay. Well, man, we appreciate that. So we want to cut to a quick musical break, but I definitely want to figure out, because you said your last year there at Kraft Foods, your last 12 months, there were like some transitions, some changes that you got into. Changes. Okay. Yeah, we're going to get to that, man, and then talk about the stuff that you're up to. Now, I'm excited for you, especially this new transition that you have coming. Starts on somebody's birthday, your birthday, uh, November 22nd, right? Yes, indeed. Man evolving man create your life series family i realize that some of us are entrepreneurs and also realize that some of us are professionals who are looking to make that jump or who are happy where we are but want to continue to create our life and maximize our potential and results so with that said i want to talk about what greg uh, has shared with me about him actually uh, switching it up because you actually quit working at Kraft foods how long ago greg December 2014 wow so in, in 2014 you quit what inspired you to like was it that things weren't going the way that you wanted like what what inspired this this different uh pace of thought i mean 16 years is a, is a long time it is i'd say two things one was i remember driving home from from work and this might have been early 2014 and i just got a new global role and i remember my dad goes son congratulations you love the new job And for probably the first time ever, I actually took a deep breath and I paused and I actually chose to answer the question honestly. And I said to him, I don't I don't love it. I like it. But I don't love it. And I also started to realize that, you know, father time's coming. I was two years away from approaching 40 and there were things that had been in my mind on my to-do list that I hadn't done yet. Right. One of them being, as we talked about being in foster care and then adopted, I had this burning desire to go meet my biological parents. Mm-hmm. I had this burning desire to uh, be on the radio. Right. A dream I'd had since I was 10 years old. Wow. Okay. And so what happened was that night I realized that I was finally honest with myself too not really with my dad. It just so happened that that was the conversation, but I honestly I realized that I didn't love it. And so I could either choose to do something that I don't love or trust myself 
and believe me, there's a lot of self-doubt and fear in that moment, but, and actually go, what would it be like to press the reset button mm. and actually go find my biological parents instead of me making up stories like, well, I'm not even good with my current family. How am I going to find a new one? Or I've never been on the radio before. How am I just going to pop up on the radio station? Or I've never run a business before. And, and what's so crazy about the human mind, that even that statement, what do you mean, Gregory, you've never run a business before? You worked 16 years in Kraft Foods and Monolith International. You ran business around the globe. But I had this thing in my mind going way back to the way back of maybe I'm just not special enough. And that's that narrative that you create about yourself. Yes. That's not even necessarily true. It was true to me, but it wasn't the truth. Huh. That's deep. It was true to you, but it wasn't the truth. Yes. And we all have something that we think is true that may be true for us. And let's acknowledge and validate that that happens. And then at the same time, hold people to the highest of that. It actually may not be the truth. Things may happen around you, but they, they're not happening. Uh, or may happen to you, but they don't define you. That being said, then what, what was that journey like of actually finding your parents? Because you did to get to do so, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I looked for them a few years earlier. Uh, let's call it 2010. 10 or 11 and sometimes it's all about like whatever your underlying beliefs are your intentions are I was still nervous about it back then and so I didn't find them and I didn't have the the conversations I probably should have had with my parents at the time and you know I ran into a roadblock I'm like this is hard I can't find them but it really was because I wasn't ready to I didn't believe I should and the moment I actually realize that I get to go meet them. I'm not a bad person. My my parents who raised me were going to understand. Actually, a therapist said to me, which was one of the most insightful things when I said, I'm nervous about talking to my parents about going to find my birth parents. And she goes, she's like, let me tell you something. How long do you think they've known you've been adopted? And I was like, I guess since they adopted me. She was like, yeah, they're probably kind of okay and ready for this conversation. Um, And once again, it's like me making it a bigger deal than it was. But once I went to go find them, it, it was like, it happened in like less than three months. Wow. Because I went to the, the County that facilitated the adoption. I made the official request. They go find your birth mom. They actually ask her whether or not she wants to meet you or not because of the closed adoption. So talk about some, like some fear. It's like, after all this, you find out she's alive. They find her. And what if she's like, no, I'm good. Hmm. Who coached you through this? So you had a, you had a therapist. That's yeah. definitely I'm happy that you said that because a lot of people um, don't necessarily uh, go may not go to therapists and you might actually need one. And it's OK. I'm glad you said that, too, because guess what? I had never had a therapist before ever in my life until that moment. And at that age was uh, let's call it 38, 38 years old. Wow. OK. Yeah. So, Yes. And she said one other piece that helped me, too. So she was worth her money for the, hey, your parents that raised you have known you've been adopted for a little while. I think they can handle this. They've been dealing with this since you were two. You may have only just started to deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other was she goes, you're going to ask them likely what happened. And she is talking about your biological parents. You're going to ask them what happened. And she's like, they're going to say what they're going to say. And it may not even be true. Boy. They're, they're, they're going to say what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you get to like actually just be okay with whether it's true or not. Like you'll get to hear their story and know that in a way they can't even remember what happened 40 years ago. Their version of it is seen through whatever lens it was. It, it, it may be their truth. It may not be true. And she was like, you just get to listen to them. And she also said, you can be angry. You can be upset. You can be happy. And she also allowed me to like, be able 
that it was okay to feel all those, those emotions, emotions. Yeah. and then end up with they were doing the best they could. I'm grateful we get to meet now and let's figure it out from here. And you are who you are at this point. So, you know, you may or may not be better off if they had raised you. Everything worked out. Exactly. The that, way it was supposed to. To your point, it worked out the way it was supposed to work out. And remember, we were all just doing the best we could. Mm, that's deep. And that's powerful, man, because that's one of the things that helped me in my journey, you know, with uh, kind of like forgiveness and understanding who I am and things like that, was just saying, you know what? I'm grateful. Like foster care, I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. You know, it's definitely it's a horrible experience. A lot of it you block out. But at the same time, understanding that that's what made you and why you are who you are. Yeah. So, you know, you got to kind of you got to play with the cards that you dealt, man. You, you do. And one of the things I got some advice one time was that as we start to forgive and like actually love our families, we mm -hmm. also learn to love and forgive ourselves. Absolutely. Because in certain situations, it's not even your fault. Yeah. And you blame yourself <laughs> growing up, blaming yourself. And it's not even you. <laughs> OK, man. So. You, you found your biological parents. You had these things that you wanted to do. You wanted to check off on being on the radio, running yeah. your own company, things like that. What does that exit look like when you when you leave corporate America? I know you say you were making in a ballpark of... Those last 12 months, I was making about $280,000. Wow. <laughs> Who all called you crazy when you made this job? Um, mostly everybody, except for my mom. My dad was a little like, son... Do you, do you know how much money you make? He knew I knew how much money I made, but he was like, he wanted me to say it out loud. But there were a lot of people who were like, don't leave your job until you have everything else set up, until you have another job. I mean, all from how they saw the world and from a place of love, but that wasn't the way I wanted to go about it. That wasn't your vision? Yeah. Wow. So, you, okay, so you lead a two, 280K and you, you See, jump why, out why, on your... Why you got to remind me? Sorry, brother. <laughs> I mean, hey, but now you got more freedom than you had, right? Yes. So what is it worth? That's that's oh, how I always look at it. Because if you can make them two hundred and eighty, that means you was making them at least three, four times that. Hey, one of my boys used to always say, "What if I told you you were underpaid for the value you can create in the world?" Mm -hmm. And what was your initial response to that statement? I was like, "Stop it! Like you're talking nonsense to me right now." Mm, and like, like I literally was like, "Whatever." And how did you, how did you end up uh, that perspective end up evolving? Because what happened was I started to realize, and this was something we didn't talk about in terms of like tips mm -hmm. that I learned in corporate America. The other one I would have said that I left out was, was like working hard. Okay. And so his point, which I finally got was, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to work hard at whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And then imagine if it's behind stuff that I'm actually curious about, passionate about, willing to become extraordinary at and serve other people, mm -hmm. then actually... I will create more value in the world and I'll be happier doing it too. And so he was right from the standpoint of, I now do the things that I'm curious and passionate about that I'm willing to become extraordinary at and that I get to serve people. And that I'm willing to become extraordinary at. Yeah. You can't leave that piece out because just because I may love to sing, All right. but I'm not extraordinary at it or can't become extraordinary at it. Then I probably won't serve people anyway. <laughs> So it just, right? It's, so you need, to me, you need all three. Right, right, right. Okay. All right, so you did this. So you made the exit, jumped out. How much planning did you do before? Because I always got to say this because some of the fam, I don't want people to just. No, hey, so let, if, if you want to know like how much the planning I really did, mm -hmm. I was planning from the day I lived in that room rental and had 88 Cutlass back in 1998. If we want to keep it like, for, so to really let folks know sometimes that it takes planning mm -hmm. now with that said 
Not everybody knows what they want to do that far in advance, but right. let's just call it when we get to like the year 2014. Right. I did things like instead of buying a condo, mm-hmm. I bought a three-family home. Some people are like, well, I don't want to be a landlord. I'm like, think about it. We all live in some type of house, apartment, whatever. Absolutely. How often do you call your landlord in a given year? Not that often. And so if you added up the number of hours you spend with your landlord or them doing stuff, I bet you wouldn't add up to more than two days out of a year. So there's this myth that people are like, well, I don't want to be a landlord. I'm like, it, you, you don't do anything. So I bought a three-family home. I lived in one of the apartments, rented out the other two. So that year leading up to it, I basically got rid of the largest expense most of us have, which is like where we live. Because I was willing to be a landlord, make some sacrifice, because I knew there was something else coming. Okay, but I want to go back a, a bit before that. You bought your first house at 23. At 26. 26, 26 I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Because you, I was, remember, I was stacking the cash. Right. The 88 Cutlass and the room rental. Hey, man. My twin bed. <laughs> my micro fridge <laughs> in my room. Oh, <laughs> And no. I had like a little wooden chair and a TV. <laughs> and a desk. I don't, no, I don't even know. No desk, desk, right? I, you just, you just, <laughs> just a the, wooden chair. Sit the laptop on your, on your, uh, your lap. Living so, life. It's a laptop. A real life, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so you bought the first house at 26 what'd you do what'd you do with it like flip it you still own it i don't know i actually just sold it earlier this year okay so all this time i moved out of there in 2012 and then i rented it out actually rented it to a friend of mine and that started kind of the path of also doing stuff with family and friends he needed to to a place to stay it was like we didn't have to worry about broker fees all this other stuff i'm like hey i'm moving out you just move in start paying me the rent every month Right. Speaking of, man, that's been a strong thing for you in our conversations, man. Our friends, family, and coworkers is like your, that's, that's like one of your slogans. The yeah, other man. one is the underdog. What is it exactly with the underdogs that you have? Hey, it's um, a special delivery of underdog stuff. So I'm covering, commentating, and coaching the underdog and all the uns. Right. The unconventional, the unsaid, the unsung, the underrated, the underreported. But you, you also said this earlier, and I thought oh. it was dope. I actually wrote it. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're talking about like literally what my calling is or higher purpose? Yeah. Is, is, Fighting for the underdog to rediscover how special they are. Yeah, that's dope. That's literally what I wake up is on my mind. That's my compass. That's my true north. I make decisions based on that. That's deep, man. I, I like that. I like that a lot. You just sold this house that you bought at 26 a couple years ago. You, you transitioned out. So when you first jump out of uh, corporate America, man, what were, what were the things that you did? What, what, did you, what passion did you follow? Because I know you, you like real estate. That's mm-hmm. one of your things. Yep. You got a real estate company called? EMH United. Okay. And that's, you do that with, uh, is it friends, family, and coworkers? Yes, I do. The whole business model is like, let's not mess with the banks. Okay. And let's pool our money together. Mm-hmm. And so we will buy properties, cash deals, think foreclosures, estate sales, renovate them, and then the profits go back to the investors plus to us for running the business. And then the goal next is to start buying properties that we buy and hold so that the income gets generated monthly. And this whole idea of literally our, we, it's good dudes doing good business with good people to create financial freedom for all. So, again, it's how do you do something you're curious and passionate about, willing to become extraordinary at it, and then also serve people. Wow. Because your money... It's not working that hard for you in that savings account. Hmm. Now, it's working. True. It's just not working for you. The bank's working with it. Right, because they're definitely borrowing on it. Yeah. They're definitely borrowing on it. Man, wow. That, that's a great perspective yeah. to have. And it sounds beneficial, man. We you know, need to talk a little bit off air. Yes, yes. And, and hey, and, and to your point about like how that all worked, that, that doesn't mean there aren't going to be some fights, some arguments. Right, because you're dealing with friends and family and coworkers. Yeah, yes. So there's some drama every now and then, but it's worth it.
Mm, okay. So you got the you got EMH going on, EMH United, and then you jumped on. You've been running two shows weekly for the last two years. How, how long? Yeah, it's uh, for since uh, basically last year. Since March started due to disruption, and then I joined the Word Up Show, which is on a station in Philly, in uh, August of last year. So basically, for over a year now, I've been going to Philly doing a show mm-hmm. on Saturday, coming back here and doing a show. The dudes of disruption that I used to do here on WATR ninety point three FM, the Voice of Harlem. What are you doing during the week, entrepreneur? Uh, I'm in a coaching program to get officially certified. Okay. Um, running the EMH business, and then also the preparation. Right. We people see us get sports is another great example. They see the game. Right. They don't see the practice. Right. Practice. One of the we talking about practice. 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 One of the things I do during the week is. Have meetings on what we're going to talk about for the upcoming shows those weekends. Absolutely. Researching information, getting together the talking points I want to make sure I want to hit. Mm-hmm. Once again, delivering a quality product and experience to the folks who have taken their time out of their schedule to listen to something I might say. Absolutely. Got to make sure you're delivering some type of quality. Yes. Okay. So what's coming up for you uh, next, Mr. Neesmith? Man, I am... Happy to announce and talk about, to your point, create your life. Oftentimes, it was that switch of me believing that I was special enough Mm -hmm. was the difference maker. Because at the start of last year, Mm -hmm. I had never been on the radio before, ever. Never had a podcast, never had a radio show. And then fast forward to November 22nd, 2016, coming up in a few weeks, I will be hosting my own show called The Gregory Neesmith Show. A special delivery of underdog stuff. Covering, commentating, and coaching the uns. Like I said, the underrated, the underreported, the unsung, the unthinkable underdog stuff. And what, what time can people catch that and where? On WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. I'll be here every Tuesday night. They say bad things happen after midnight. Until now. Until now. The good things that happen after midnight. Yeah, midnight to 2 a.m. every Tuesday night. I will be um, talking about what's going on with underdog stuff, so the unavoidable, so what are the big news st- topics of that day or that week. Um, I have a segment called Why Are You Still Up? Because oftentimes underdogs are up because they're grinding or people are up because they're stressed and worried about something. And as a coach, I can actually on the spot talk about that. Uh, we'll have segments like the unjust or just, so things that have happened where punishments have been dealt out, and we talk about, like, was it justified or not justified? Right. Uh, so we're going to have some fun. We'll have a segment for the underground underdog. So people who are on the come up, whether it's artists, whether people who just started their own business, and give them a platform to be able to talk about their story and also talk about what they're creating. And Absolutely. that's just some of the flavor of what's going to be happening on the Gregory Neesmith Show on WHCR 90.3, midnight to 2 a.m. every Tuesday night, starting on my birthday. Birthday, shout out. November 22nd. Man, that's that's amazing. So if somebody needs that coaching, because you, you, one thing that you said that we didn't really get to dive into was that your show, The Dudes of Disruption, which is three gentlemen yep. who talked about basically disrupting the... Automatic. Right, the automatic things. But you guys created a, a coaching group out of this where you were coaching about 15 men? Yeah, we had 15 uh, men as clients, and we had a men's group in New York City, mm-hmm. and it's still going on, mm-hmm. and it meets every other Monday. And the whole premise was how do we inspire men to live purposely and transform the world? And so we talk about uh, playing your A-game, uh, being in contribution in the community, also redefining what it is to be a man and also learning and sharing with one another. If somebody wants to be coached by you, if somebody wants to find out more information about your show, know where, know what's going on with you the latest, man. What are your social media handles? How do they get in contact with you? What's the email address, man? Let 
the Create Your Life Series family know? I like to keep it real simple. Go to GregoryNeesmith.com. How you, you have to spell that? G-R-E-G-O-R-Y. That, O-R-Y. That's G-R-E-G-O-R-Y. Neesmith. N-E-S-M-I-T-H. And there you have links to all my social media. Also, I have a mailing list you can sign up for. And then email. I keep it simple to Gregory at GregoryNeesmith.com. Smart. Okay. Well, Greg, man, thank you so much for being here with us on the Create Your Life series. Create Your Life series, family, we're going to jump to a quick musical break, and then I'm going to come back and recap this amazing show that we've had today, talking about those things that he said that will really help you uh, propel yourself further, whether you're dealing, uh, working in corporate America or uh, just doing, you know, your thing entrepreneurially in order to become a better person to maximize your potential and results. So a couple of the points that he said, especially for those um, who are, you know, living that professional corporate life, he said, find a mentor. And in order to do that, you really need to find someone who believes in you, who is saying more than just high and by really might have an investment in what it is that you uh, want to do. He also said, get feedback. Don't be afraid to understand and know how people are responding to you, how they perceive you so that then you can evolve and make sure that you're actually projecting off the right type of message. Uh, He said the other thing is to give credit where it is due. And I think that is you know, one of the things, one of the parts of humility is to always uh, give credit to other people, you know, for even the small things that they've done. Just go ahead and say that and give them that love. And if you're the leader, then you need to take the blame for, you know, something that may go bad uh, or might not go as planned and just be ready and willing to have that tough skin to move forward and to move past it. And also he said working hard will be something that will really, really, really Um, help you to propel yourself and actually see the other options that may be on the horizons for you. But he also said, do something that you love and make sure that it's something that you could become extraordinary about. And the last thing that I'm going to leave you with, because I'm so happy to call him my foster care brother now because I didn't know that about him. But he said to forgive yourself and those who may have actually done something to you that was less than ideal. And to also be honest with yourself. Sometimes being honest with yourself is admitting that, you know what, I got it. I have it good right now in what it is that I'm doing. But I believe that if I let good go, then I can be great and that I can have great. So create your life series family. Believe in that. Believe in your magic. And of course, you can always find us here. Our website and podcast is uh, create on createyourlifeseries.com, and that's on iTunes as well as Stitcher Radio. You can always leave a comment, tell us what you want to hear about, what you want to know, and what you would even like some of the show topics to be in it. Holler at us on our Instagram, at CYL Series. You can also email us at CYLS at Legacy Thinking Labs. And, of course, we're always streaming live from now on to our family on Facebook, and that's uh, fb.com backslash kevbrown1, and you'll always be able to catch us. So it's been a beautiful Sunday, and of course you all are my beautiful family. So we will definitely uh, be back next week. Enjoy your week. Stay blessed. This episode of the Create Your Life series is brought to you by Manus Soul Food and Salad Bar Restaurant in Harlem, New York. Manus is open seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Manus has been serving soul food in Harlem for 31 years. They have now added healthier options to their 8th Avenue locations menu, such as steamed dumplings, a fresh salad bar, and all of their food is cooked with fresh herbs like garlic, rosemary, thyme, basil, and ginger. You can find out which location is close to you by visiting their website, soulfood.com.